Star Wars Action News is brought to you in part by Brian's Toys. At Brian'sToys.com, you can find Star Wars toys and collectibles from 1977 to the present. Brian's Toys has it all, from vintage toys and action figures right up to the latest releases. And when checking out, be sure to say you were referred to Brian's Toys by Star Wars Action News. So go check out the world's largest selection of Star Wars toys at Brian'sToys.com. listening to Star Wars Action News, your source for Star Wars collecting news, reviews, and updates, helping Star Wars collectors collect better. Be sure to check out our website at SWActionNews.com, where you can see photos of the items discussed, chat with other Star Wars Action News listeners, and much more, including information on how you can be part of the show. Welcome to another episode of Star Wars Action News. I'm Marjorie. And I'm Arnie. And we have a great show for you this week. We have a report from the first ever Wizard World St. Louis. Yay! St. Louis! It's like a con in our backyard. Didn't even need a hotel for a change. I know, that's odd. It's so different. And later on, we will be hearing a UK report from Steve the Ginger Prince. But first up is Jonathan with On the Pegs. Hello, I'm Jonathan, and welcome to On The Pegs, where we discuss what's being found in stores and online. The great drought of new Hasbro products continues, but while there's nothing new in stores, there are several opportunities to find older items for decent prices. At Toys R Us this week, they had a buy one, get one 50% off sale on all Star Wars figures and role-playing items. Now, you might think that there would be no reason to visit your local store for a sale when they haven't had much lately, but if there are later vintage collection figures you are still looking for, you may want to reconsider. Over the past week, I've been to four different Toys R Us's, and each time they had a number of figures that have been harder to find, including A New Hope Darth Vader, Luke and Hoth gear, Imperial Naval Trooper, Realistic Clone Wars Anakin, and even Darth Malgus. It's like TRU found a whole warehouse full of cases and are flooding the stores with them. While I was at Toys R Us, I made my way over to the Lego aisle and found another new set. A new Battle of Hoth pack that comes with a Snowspeeder, Tauntaun, Probe Droid, speeder bike, and six minifigures. You LEGO minifigure collectors will want to pick this set up because it has two new ones, a General Recon and a Snowspeeder Pilot Loop, plus two Hoth Rebel Troopers and two Snow Troopers, all for just under $60. Seems like a good set. Also in the LEGO aisle, I found the 2012 Advent Calendar on clearance for $29.99. Not sure if that is a price worth rushing out for, but if you're still looking for it, it's there. And while we're speaking of Lego, at Target this week they're having a sale on all Star Wars Lego items including the building sets and accessory items like the alarm clocks and flashlights. However, in most cases the sales are only a few dollars off and may not be much to get excited about. Over in the Hasbro section of my local Target, there continues to be plenty of Fighter Pod and Angry Birds sets, but not much else. The Iron Man 3 items are starting to encroach on the space, and I wonder how long it'll be before they take down the Darth Maul arch that surrounds the area. It just doesn't seem like Target has enough Star Wars merchandise to warrant using that much space. Although I haven't seen them, I am getting reports that people are finding two new Jedi Force 2-packs at their local Targets. The first one has Obi-Wan and a Kit Fisto, and the second has Mace Window and Jango Fett. 
You know, I have to admit that even though I don't collect this line, these little figures are getting kind of cute. They're not quite Galactic Heroes cute, but they're not too bad. Over at Walmart, I haven't seen anything new either in the toy section or the clearance section. At Five Below, they always seem to be fully stocked with the Discover the Force wave of figures, but their supplies of the vintage figures seem to be dwindling. When I went today, all the Troop Builder figures like the Clone Trooper, Sand Trooper, and Endor Rebel figures were gone, and what they had left was several pegs dominated by Wedge figures. Who the heck could have predicted that two years ago? Five Below also seems to keep getting restocked with fighter pods, both the four packs and the blind bags. At Kmart, they're having a 50% off sale on all clearance toys, so if you haven't picked one up yet, I found the ATST for the bargain price of $15.50. I didn't see either of the exclusive two packs, unfortunately, because for 50% off, I would have picked up a few of the ATST crew packs as troop builders. I did find the electronic blasters from last year on clearance, though. They had the Rebel Trooper Blaster, the Captain Rex Blaster, and the Boba Fett Blaster. My boys have the Boba Fett one, but for $9 each, I almost went for the other two. Then I realized that they not only made sounds, but they shoot those little Nerf darts, and I'm not sure that would have gone over well with my wife. In my desperation for something new, I ventured to my local Myers store. While they didn't have anything new on the pegs, they did have some decent sales. All figures, including Vintage, Clone Wars, and Movie Heroes, were reduced to $7.99. The store I visited only seemed to have the Phantom Menace wave, the early movie heroes figures, and no Clone Wars. They also had a sale on the Old Republic Troopers Lego set for $10. Online this week, Amazon had two very nice deals. The first was the big MTT vehicle from last year. Right now it's only $73 shipped. This was very tempting to buy and put away for a birthday or a holiday gift for one of my boys, but I think I'm going to wait to see if it goes any lower. Last year, I ended up getting the Republic Attack Shuttle for something like $30 shipped from Amazon when they were just trying to unload them, so hopefully the long game will work out for me here. Amazon also has the LEGO Desert Skiff for a little over $16. I received this set as a gift, and it is well worth the price. Gentle Giant has put up some former exclusives on their site from Diamond and Entertainment Earth. The Han Solo Minoc Hunt Mini Bust and the Scout Trooper Ewok Attack Animated Maquette. These are available first to Premier Guild members and later to everyone else, and at the time of this recording, they're still available. If you are online, please remember to visit Star Wars Action News sponsor Brian's Toys. They have a huge selection of both modern and vintage items, and in this time of drought, it's the perfect opportunity to fill holes in your collection. Now, a few weeks ago, I ordered cases of the final waves of Clone Wars and Movie Heroes figures. Since my last segment, I received them, and I wanted to take this opportunity to review the Movie Heroes figures for you guys, so you can make an informed decision on if you want to spend the time and money tracking these down. Now, remember, these figures are not going to be released in the U.S. market. If you want them, you're going to have to go online and find either a Canadian or European seller. A little disclaimer here, I'm not planning to open these figures, so I may not catch some little differences between these and the earlier releases. The wave consists of nine figures, of which many have been previously released. The first figure is a Darth Vader with a light-up saber. Now, I reviewed this figure a few months ago, and my opinion of it hasn't changed. It's a very nicely sculpted figure, although not highly articulated. The second figure is Anakin Skywalker with a light-up saber. Like the Vader, it is a very detailed sculpt, with not very much articulation in order to accommodate the electronics. This did have an earlier release on the Darth Maul card as well, but chances are, if you didn't live in Germany, you never saw it. The next figure is an Obi-Wan Kenobi, and this sculpt reaches all the way back to 2002 in the Saga line. Here, instead of magnets in the hand, he has two figures pointing in a Jedi mind trick sort of way. In my figure, the fingers look a little bit long, kind of like a 
he's a little bit E.T. Next, we have another battle droid. Now, this one is a new sculpt. Again, unless you were able to pick one up in Germany. He has the deep maroon deco from Episode 2 and has a special Blast Apart feature. The electronic R2-D2 from the previous Movie Heroes line makes return appearance and from what I can tell, sports the same deco as last time. Essentially, this is the same electronic R2 figure that we've been seeing since 2002, though. The next figure is Jango Fett, and he has previously been seen in the Evolutions pack with Boba and Mandalore, and then again in the Legacy Collection line. He's a very nice figure. The deco on his armor looks good, and while it's a repack, if they wanted to put him back out there, Hasbro picked a good version to go with. And, if we hadn't had enough of him, Darth Maul is also in this final wave. From what I can tell, he's exactly the same as last year's version. Like Maul, Yoda appears to be a straight repack from last year. So if you aren't a carded variation nut like myself, you can probably pass on him too. The last figure in this wave was also the one I was the most interested in. A sparkling white sand trooper with a BFG that lights up when you press his belt. Like the Anakin in the battle droid, he was slated to be released on the old Maul card, but never saw wide release, well, at least in this country. The figures with light-up features definitely are geared to appeal to children, and one annoying thing about them is that the batteries are non-replaceable. So, in a nutshell, if you aren't a carded variation collector and don't need every version of the figure, you can probably pass on this wave with the exception of the Anakin, Battle Droid, and Sand Trooper. And unfortunately, these are the three figures going for big bucks on eBay right now. Well, that's all for this week. Until next time, keep searching the pegs. Thank you, Jonathan. Now, this past weekend, we were down at Wizard World St. Louis, as we mentioned earlier. Billy D. Williams was in attendance signing autographs, and while we were down there, we recorded a report on what we found. Well, we are live at Wizard World St. Louis, the inaugural year for it. And we are at America's Center? Yes, it's America's Center. We own it as Americans, damn it. It's better than the Purina Dog Chow Center. There is actually a Purina Center here. I know. It's called Purina Farms. <laughs> but yes, it is Wizard World. It is the first year. I'm going to be honest, being the very first year, my expectations for this convention were reserved, we'll say. Yeah, I wasn't expecting a whole bunch. I, they announced it not too long ago. It wasn't didn't have a lot of lead time. St. Louis has not had a comic book convention of the size. In fact, I don't know that they have any comic book conventions at all. None that we've been to. They have an anime con. Yeah, no. But it, it was very interesting to see how this was going to play out based on the short lead time and the first time in this market with no other conventions. And for Wizard World, having gone to Wizard World Chicago every year for 13 years now, and looked at their site for every other Wizard World they have and going, Marjorie, you want to go to Wizard World Philadelphia? Marjorie, you want to go Wizard World New Orleans? Marjorie, you want to go Wizard World Seattle? So I've seen their guest lineups. This one, they had some really good stars. They had Billy D. Williams. Yes, and unfortunately the people of St. Louis do not love Billy D. Williams as most of the time he was sitting up there just staring because no one was getting his autograph. They had Dean Kane. Superman. Believe it or not, he's here. No, that's the greatest American hero. No, he also was the host of Ripley's Believe It or Not. Oh, I totally forgot about that. He was, wasn't he? And 
the headliner was Stan Lee, who did make it. I was a little nervous he'd canceled some appearances recently. Yeah, and he's amazingly fun, even if you're not into Marvel or comics or anything. Amazingly fun. We actually went to the Stan Lee meet and greet, and before you say, Arnie, this isn't Marvelicious Toys, there's actually a Star Wars bet because there was a Q&A. And somebody asked Stan Lee about George Lucas. Apparently, there's this rumor going around that when George Lucas was making Star Wars in the 70s, and he wanted the comic books, and he was going to talk to Marvel about it, he was going to meet with Stan Lee himself, and Stan Lee made George Lucas wait for 45 minutes before he could come in and talk about the Star Wars comic. Apparently that was completely untrue, and Stanley got a good laugh at that and said that no, it's more like he would have to wait to see George Lucas, but George is a very nice man. Yeah, I didn't really think about it, but Stan Lee told stories about George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, and James Cameron. So, Stan Lee, hobnobbing. Yeah, he's a pretty popular guy. But coming in with those headliners seemed like a smaller guest roster. I expected a smaller con, and... Truthfully, this is one of the smallest conventions I've ever gone to other than like the non-sport trade card show we've gone to a few times in Chicago to get a Tonica Sisters autograph. Yeah, but that was in like a hotel ballroom. It was really tiny, but this is a very small con. For those of you who go to Wizard World Chicago, it's maybe about a quarter of the size, and I'm probably being a little generous there. Maybe a quarter to a fifth. It's sharing a convention center where there's also a spirit smackdown going on, a dance competition, and these teen and preteen and toddler prostitutes are pretending that they're going to get cooties from the nerds. Yeah, it is a very strange mix of people all in costume. You've got Doctor Who, and you've got little preteen dance troops, and both seem frightened of the other. Yeah, it's quite of interesting to be in the elevator with comic book people and then the dance people because the dance people are like cowering in the corner like we're dangerous or something oh we are dangerous i don't know their glitter was getting everywhere but we're in a pretty big convention center i mean it's nowhere near the size of any of the ones of celebration it's not even near the size of the indianapolis one but it's a good sized convention center but there is one hall devoted to wizard world and this is where all of the autographs are where all the photo ops are where all the vendors are it's even where you get your tickets yeah and it's kind of an odd layout because there was a huge traffic jam because the lines to get in were crossing the lines of people exiting and so it was very difficult to navigate through the door because there's no way that these lines could not cross each other to get through to the lobby. Yeah, and Wizard World Chicago is so well-planned, and it's because they've done it for year after year, and you've got your main hall separate from where you get your tickets and everything. Here, you'd have to go through the ticketing area to get to the hall, and I feel really bad for the people who waited in line for tickets because there was a line to get prepaid, pre-ordered tickets that went until 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It was huge. That was the only mistake I see of this convention is they underestimated the attendance for a first-time convention because the number of agents available to hand out tickets did not meet demand. I couldn't imagine how livid I'd be if I came for this con at like 10 o'clock in the morning when it opened and I had to wait four hours to get in. 
Yeah, that, I don't know if it was necessarily poor planning, because sometimes there are long lines at the one in Chicago. Now, having been to the other cities, I don't know how it works, but I wonder if they did underestimate and they were hit with a flood of tickets. It was kind of different. I didn't expect the line to get in last so long. Even San Diego Comic-Con, the line to get in still is quicker than that. Everyone's in, the floor opens at 9. Everyone's generally in by 9.30. Yeah, here... It wasn't people lining up to get in first. It was people just lining up to get in. And because it was such a small convention center floor, when it was at peak capacity around 1 o'clock, it was almost impossible to navigate. You could not get anywhere in a hurry. No, no. It was very difficult. Shoulder to shoulder doesn't begin to describe it. But I noticed that the tide kind of turned around 3 p.m. And while the line to go in had kind of diminished, people were moseying and just kind of going in and out, the outline was like a mass exodus and they were forcing people out. It was just uh, like 3 o'clock is when it just flipped. And I think it's because the floor itself is really small. It is all together. There's an area called Artist Alley, but it seems to be mixed in with the t-shirt vendors, the toy vendors, the comic vendors, and it just isn't a lot of vendors. We went in just before the floor opened. It was open for the VIPs when we got in, and we did the entire show floor at a very lackadaisical pace. We stopped and browsed at a lot of booths. And we did it in 58 minutes. Yeah, it was really quick, actually. And, you know, I wasn't trying to hurry or anything, and there were things I was looking at. I tried to buy two Jar Jar plushies that I didn't have, not willing to bargain anybody. I I think only one booth was bargaining with me on anything, but there wasn't a lot of Star Wars either, so it was kind of a quick go-through. Yeah, the few things we found that we started talking to people about They just were not willing to negotiate. Now, it's March. It's early into the season, and it's a first-time convention. So I think there's a lot of people not quite sure how to bargain, or there's no impetus to sell. Well, there's also another factor to this, besides being the inaugural year, and it's very early in the convention season. I think we've only had Emerald City Comic Con so far this year. And tomorrow, they're expecting a huge snowstorm to hit this region. It's very likely that the attendance will be really down. So it could be that people are factoring that into decisions they make today, which I would. If I had a booth out there, I would not be bargaining till Saturday or late Saturday or early Sunday when I see how things were going to flow. That being said, I didn't see a lot of people buying stuff. I mean, I didn't see a lot of bags because usually I, you get hit with the bags, let's be honest. You know, you get hit with people carrying stuff. But I didn't see a lot of people carrying stuff. No, I saw one guy carrying around a gentle giant box of Star Wars. And that was the only guy I saw carrying a box. One guy. There was not a lot of stuff. I think, honestly, being a comic book convention with a headliner of Stan Lee, there's a lot of comic book people here. There were a lot of long boxes of stuff for sale. I saw somebody selling an amazing Fantasy 15 graded. That thing was going to be expensive. I just gawked at it for a minute. <laughs> I have no idea how much that would even cost, but there weren't as many comic book vendors as I thought there would be, but the regular St. Louis people were here. You had your Star Clipper, which is the premier pop culture slash comic store in the Delmar Loop. The one we didn't see was V-Stock, which is vintage stock, which is kind of a used movie slash DVD slash old toy store. They do buy, sell, trade, stuff like that. But Slackers was there, which is a Missouri slash Kansas 
chain of new and used stores of comics, movies, games, that kind of thing. It's kind of like GameStop, but better. Yeah, it's a good store. They have vintage Star Wars toys and some modern Star Wars toys. As far as Star Wars at this convention, there wasn't a whole lot. There were a couple of booths that were really loaded up with some high-end stuff, some Gentle Giant, some Sideshow. I actually saw an FX collectible stunt saber, but again, everything was marked pretty high. Even some of the busts were at a minimum $30 and more were around the 65 to 70 range. The only thing I saw that kind of caught my eye were there was one vendor who had just a ton of sideshow six scale figures that were only in the 50 to $70 range. So having only a few of those, I thought about picking up a few others. But I just decided it was kind of buying for the sake of buying. And so even though the prices seemed pretty good, I also think it's indicative of, you know, we're talking the Bib Fortuna figure and things like that. Just ones they had in stock for quite a while and there's probably good prices on them on eBay. But we did not leave empty-handed. I got a gorgeous piece of original artwork from Brian Wood, who is a trading card artist and things. He had an original art piece of Boba Fett that's probably about a foot high and four inches wide. Really great detail. And we're talking an original piece, not a print. And normally his original pieces in this scale were running around 100 but I think he's been sitting on this one for a while. It was dated 2011. He was only asking 40 for it, and I could not pass it up. It's just an original art piece for $40 of Boba Fett that looks this cool. I had to have it. Yeah, it's a really nice piece. I like how it's kind of a different shape. It's a long piece, and it looks really nice. There's actually a few places I would think about hanging it. So My thought for it was I'm starting to envision the Star Wars collecting room that we're going to build, and I know I have the Slave 1 from Code 3 and the Master Replicas Boba Fett Blaster and the Master Replicas Boba Fett Helmet, and I kind of thought that that would look good with all this other Boba Fett stuff like behind it. You know, I don't want bare walls. I'm thinking about putting art prints behind the high-end props so that they're somewhat obscured, but they provide an accent to the collectible. No, I think that's a great idea. And you also got something. You got another t-shirt for your collection. I did. I got a Jar Jar shirt that said, Haters Gonna Hate. It was too cute and kind of amusing and since you didn't get the Jar Jar plushies because he wanted 35 for two Jar Jar plushies that would probably be worth the five of that 35. Yeah most people are so willing to bargain on the Jar Jar stuff that I pick up what I'm missing for pennies on the dollar. This guy claims that Jar Jar's made a resurgence and episode one re-release has just caused it to fly off his shelves. Funny it was still sitting there as the hall was about to close. Yes it was. Not flying off the shelf. No, it's not. It's okay. I've known vendors to lie. A vendor at Wizard World in August who told me he sold out of something and had none left and wouldn't bargain because it was his very last one, and then I saw him sell it, had more here at this show. Mm-hmm. Of the same thing. So, you can't always trust people when you're bargaining. So, since you didn't get those Jar Jar plushies, I kind of think you were looking for something to hit your Jar Jar fix and that t-shirt is perfect. Plus, it's a shirt that not everyone's going to have when you come to Celebration Europe or something. Yeah, because everyone here had that red Target Millennium Falcon blueprint shirt. It's Target red and it's red and sold at Target. Exactly. 
But overall, line snafu aside, I think that this was a successful convention. There were a lot of people coming through, if not a lot of Star Wars presence. In addition to the lack of Star Wars merchandise, even though the 501st had a presence here, I felt there was also a very big lack of Star Wars customers. I didn't see any stormtroopers. I didn't either. Mostly what I saw was people wearing the Boba Fett hoodie. Yeah, and I don't think that's a costume. I think that's a hoodie. It's kind of cold out. Exactly. Yeah, there weren't a lot of Star Wars costumers. I think I saw one Boba Fett actually in costume and maybe a freeform Mando. You know how people make up the Mandos? But I really didn't see... I didn't even see any little kid Jedis. I saw a few... I think I saw one Jedi around, and that was it. And he had the FX Saber. I've seen a few FX Sabers, but I don't think they were always attached to costumes. The one cool thing, though, is I didn't know St. Louis had an R2 Builders Association, and I know you have for years wanted to get involved in an R2 group. I have. I'd love to build an R2. I'm slightly mechanical, and I could do some of that. The electrical work might be kind of hazy for me because, well, I've caught things on fire before with electricity. But... You're not instilling me with confidence. Time is what I lack. I hear that, but with a group down here... It's something where we might want to investigate because being where we are, it was just no one to work with on an R2. And I think that you building an R2 could be a very, very cool thing that I could support. Well, I'd like that. Do I get a workshop then too? Sure, you can have a workshop. Okay. So that is it for Wizard World. We are kicking off the con season. It starts with a whimper, not a bang. But it is just a month till C2, E2, and... I can't wait for that. It, again, seems a little bit light on the Star Wars presence. I know Dark Horse is going to be there. I'm hoping that Del Rey has a presence. They've had him at the past couple. I know John Jackson Miller has some upcoming works, and maybe we'll get some authors and things announced added to the guest list. They're adding to the guest list every single day. I know Artist Alley's looking good with Katie Cook, and Tom Hodges, I believe, is on that list. So it's going to be a great time, and... I'm really looking forward to it because our badges with the t-shirt that you can print were a hit here. And we are looking forward to doing that again at C2E2. We're going to have another badge. If you're going to C2E2 and you stop us, it'll have a code on the back to print out a heat transfer for a t-shirt. I love these. These are super cool. The vintage iron-ons are one of my favorite, favorite, favorite things ever. And I love these. So with that, we'll take it back to the studio. So that is it for this Wizard World. Again, nice meeting everyone we encounter down there. And don't forget to redeem the code on the back of your badge so you can download that t-shirt transfer we talked about last week. Again, Chris did such an awesome job with both the badges and the t-shirt iron-ons using vintage figures to recreate those vintage t-shirt styles. And our next Wizard World is going to be in Chicago in August, although there's a lot of cons between now and then. C2E2 is just a month away. Yeah, they're a month apart almost exactly, so we'll be up in Chicago for that, which is going to be a lot of fun. Now next up, we have Steve the Ginger Prince with a special report from the United Kingdom. Greetings, Star Wars fans. This is Steve the Ginger Prince coming to you all the way from the UK. Now, the reason I'm in your ears this week is hopefully to do one of you a big favour. As I sat listening to episode 383 of the best podcast in the galaxy, 
I realised I was in a privileged position. Being in the UK, I'm unlike you Americans in that I've got a fighting chance to get all of the green Yoda card Clone Wars wave of three and three quarter inch action figures. You know, the wave full of yak face, as Arnie so aptly described it. As described on episode 384, I've already picked up the Savage Press and opened him, purely because he looks cool. But I wasn't intending to pick up the entire wave, because I'm not a completist Clone Wars collector. I only dip in for what I deem to be the cool characters. It was at this point that I began to feel a little guilty. I mean, how can I not pick this wave up when so many people want it, and might never actually get it? With this in mind, I headed out to Forbidden Planet in Manchester, and found five of the nine figures in the wave at £9.99 each, so I hurriedly bought them. First we've got figure number one, Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi. Never has his nose and beard look so pointy. The back of the card says that Obi-Wan is shocked to discover that Darth Maul is still alive, but personally I think he just looks cross. Rather like some random clone trooper's stolen his speeder parking space at the Jedi Temple. Secondly, we've got figure number three, Anakin Skywalker, and if Kenobi looked cross, Skywalker looks pissed. This looks like a nice figure with a soft good skirt and a great paint job. The scar over his left eye looks fresh, like it was done this morning. Thirdly, we've got figure number four, CT7567, or Sexy Rexy as I like to call him. Tooled up with pistols and a BFG, Captain Rex is ready to fight the Disney executives who've cancelled his show. Fourthly, we've got figure number five, R2-D2. Now this is a lovely figure. His dome isn't the usual silver colour, but instead a delightful pearlescent blue. It doesn't look quite right, but there's something about it that works. The package tells us that he's got hidden gadgets, or if you prefer Spanish, Dispositvos Ocultos. Sorry about that pronunciation, Lindsay Lou. Lastly, we've got figure number seven, Clone Commander Cody, who is described as coming with helmet and blaster. A bit like they're added extras, not something you would expect when you buy a clone. Funnily enough, the flash on the front of the bubble neglects to point out that he actually does have an accessory, a whacking great big jetpack. I moved on to Toys R Us to look for the four remaining figures, but came out disappointed. When I say disappointed, I lie. I got to meet Jeffrey the Giraffe, and if I'm honest, that made my day. Arriving home, I sat with my figures, and I made a decision. I don't really want them. So remember that big favour I said I was hoping I could do for one of you? Well, here we go. I'm going to post all of these five figures to one lucky listener of Star Wars Action News. And what's more, if and when I find the other four figures over the next couple of weeks, I'll pick them up for you as well. Here's what I'm going to do. I'll start a thread in the forums at swactionnews.com called Yoda Green Card Clone Wars Figure Giveaway. Go there and post who you think has been the best character throughout all five seasons of the Clone Wars and why. At the end of March, I'll put all your names in a Clone Trooper helmet and pick out one lucky winner who I'll send the Kenobi, the Skywalker, the Rex, the R2 and the Cody figures too. And what's more, I will also promise to send the Oppress, the Maul, the Battle Droid and the 501st Trooper figures that make up the wave to you if and when I'm able to find them. Right, that's me over and out. I'll hand you back to Arnie and Marjorie. Thank you, Steve, for giving Star Wars Action News listeners a chance to get these really hard-to-find figures. Listeners, head to the forums at swactionnews.com 
to enter to win. Thank you, Steve. And the clock's ticking till we go over to Germany. We're making all of our hotel reservations and everything now for that convention. I know. It's exciting. I've got all our transportation done. Now just working on the hotels. So we look forward to seeing Steve there. And finally this week, since there isn't a whole lot of modern toys for us in the U.S. to buy... It's a good time to look back at older toys, such as vintage toys. I know a lot of people in the forums are posting they're using this lull in collecting to catch up on things that they've missed. So joining us this week is Jerry with another Vintage Viewpoint. Hey everyone! Jerry here to bring you my latest Vintage Viewpoint. Doesn't get a lot of press with so much buzz among Star Wars fans at this time, but this year is the 30th anniversary of Return of the Jedi. And as I did in 2010 with Empire Strikes Back, I'm going to dedicate my next few segments on my favorite items from 1983. Last time I was with you, I briefly discussed how I pulled my old Ewok Village playset out of storage and gave it a good cleaning. So I'd like to go back and talk a little bit about polishing up those old dusty vintage items and go into a very cool Kenner playset. The Force is back. The Rebels won't tire till they see the last of the Empire. And Kenner's there with Star Wars Return of the Jedi Collection. It's Ewok Village. I must see my friends. Let's sit here, me. It's C-3PO, Lowgray, and Ewok Village playset. Action figures eat sold separately. You have to put it together. Your throne, O Golden King, will celebrate with special stew. A barbecue. No celebration for me until my friends are free. Ewok Village playset from Star Wars Return of the Jedi Collection. Action figures sold separately from Kenner. The Ewok Village playset was released in 1983 as part of Kenner's Return of the Jedi line. This playset ranks among Kenner's biggest playsets from the Star Wars era, rivaled by only the Death Star playset. The Ewok playset comes with many cool features and concepts. First, it comes with all the accessories that you need to relive that scene in which Han Solo is about to be offered up to C-3PO as the main course and a supper in his honor. In the center of the playset is a fire pit, molded brown with a flame sticker in the center. Around it are two posts and a rotisserie in which to hang a figure from. To accompany that is a two-piece throne that can seat C-3PO or whomever you wish to crown Lord of the Ewoks. One piece is the throne itself and the second piece is a frame that would allow two poor Ewoks to carry the Golden God around. Not a particularly exciting scene for kids to recreate, but an awesome one for displaying your figures with. Another great accessory is a capture net that can lay flat on the surface below the playset or be pulled up to capture our heroes. Great Chewie, always thinking with your stomach. In addition to that, the playset comes with a boulder on a string that attaches to one of the tree limbs, perfect for pulling back and slamming it into a speeder bike. Also, there's an elevator attached by a string to a little crane coming out of one of the huts. After all, how else do you expect the Ewoks are going to get it all the way up there in those treetops? One subtle little feature is that one of the tree huts is actually hollowed out to act as an escape route for, I suppose, the Ewok fire department or something? Overall, this is a great playset, and like I alluded to earlier, an excellent backdrop for displaying your Endor-themed Rebels and Ewok figures. Today, acquiring one of these playsets isn't terribly difficult, and for the most part, not terribly expensive. Like many vintage items, a value is really hard to assess on something like this because it depends very heavily on condition and how many of the near 30 pieces are included with whatever set you might be looking at. For instance, there are many strings that come with the set. One to crank the elevator, one to swing the rock from, and a third one that wraps around the capture net. These were thin black strings that snapped very easily. On my set growing up, the string around the rock, I had to replace that a long time ago. 
I did swing that rock around a lot trying to hit speeder bikes and stormtroopers, and it finally snapped. I replaced it with a thin twine that my mom kept in the garage. Truth be known, I kind of like keeping it that way though because it's been like that for probably 29 of the 30 years I've had it. So certainly do your research as to which pieces actually come with the set and which ones are included in the set that you're looking at. The pieces most often missing are the small T-shaped anchor for the capture net, the fence pieces in which there are three different shaped ones, and even on those fences there's present a very small tab that locks in place. Those can snap off very easily. There's also a small drum that inserts itself into the base, as well as three triangular supports that snap into each of the three trees. I don't think they actually support anything, but they add a nice aesthetic, and it really stands out when they're missing. I expect you could find a nice, complete set somewhere in the $75 to $150 range. I had this play set out for many years as a child, and it collected a lot of dust and grime during that period. So when I pulled it out to display in my room here most recently, I decided to put a lot of effort into cleaning it up. So first, I separated the pieces as best I could. The trees come off the base fairly easily, but there are small tabs on the base that locks them into place. Don't put a lot of pressure on trying to separate the trees out, or you can't snap them. If you do, the trees will still rest into the base, they just won't be as secure. So to do this, I filled my kitchen sink up with some warm water and added a little Dawn. I took a soft, scrubby sponge and basically did the dishes. The base has a lot of ridges on it to simulate a wooden floor, so it's important to get in there and really scrub the dirt out. I couldn't believe how much of a difference it made. It was so much brighter in color, removing all the dirt, that it actually looked like a brand new toy. Not too long ago, after cleaning up the Ewok village, I purchased an Ewok glider at my local flea market. It was complete with box and instructions and only cost $20 so I snatched it up. Such a great little accessory for this Ewok Village playset. The set includes the glider of course, but then also two small rocks with strings that the Ewok pilot can hold on to in flight. $20 to $30 is about the right going price for this item if you can find it in good condition and complete. One can also have grabbed the Ewok Assault Catapult. That's actually one item that I don't have myself and I look to pick up really soon. Hopefully I can report back to you on finding that one very shortly. Now as a footnote to this segment, the Ewok Village playset was later recycled quite infamously into the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves line. Yes, the 1991 Kevin Costner film had a line of toys made by Kenner. Most of the figures from that line were recycled superpower molds as it was, but the Sherwood Forest playset recycled most of the Ewok Village parts. Now it didn't come with the throne or the drum piece, but even at first glance it's unmistakably a rehash. But nonetheless, there were a few enhancements. The Sherwood playset had some green leaves added to each of the treetops, some spear launcher placements molded into the rails, and the playset overall had a darker paint scheme. I think if you could get your hands on the greenery for the treetops, it would actually be a pretty cool add-on to the Ewok set. I remember seeing this in stores in the early 90s. I started driving in 1991 and made my way out to toy stores far more often. When I first saw it, I just had to shake my head at it, but deep down inside, I really wanted to buy it. But at 16, 17 years old, I hardly had extra cash for such things, especially when I know I still had my indoor set in good shape. The Robin Hood line had a few other items that would borrow from Ewok toys. Remember that Power of the Force Ewok Battle Wagon? Well, in 1991, for the Robin Hood line, it became simply a Battle Wagon. Wow, they didn't even get a new name for that one. I never recall seeing that in stores, or else I may have picked that up, seeing how it is that's another Ewok item that I actually don't have in my collection. However, I haven't even mentioned the most shocking Star Wars recycle into a Robin Hood toy, but seeing how it is it's not Ewok related, I'll save that one for my next segment. Well everyone, thanks for joining me, and even though we really do care, this time I'll leave you with a simple nyub nyub. Celebrate the love everyone, talk to you next time.
Thank you, Jerry. And a reminder, Jerry is joining us over at Now Playing, where we are discussing another Hasbro property, G.I. Joe, as we get close to the new G.I. Joe movie with The Rock and Bruce Willis and Channing Tatum and Snake Eyes. Jerry, Jacob, and I are looking back at all the G.I. Joe movies. You can hear those reviews at nowplayingpodcast.com. And that is our show for this week. We'll be back next week with me talking about some vintage books I recently picked up on eBay. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Action News. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We want your feedback and suggestions for Star Wars Action News. You can email us at show at SWActionNews.com or post your thoughts in the Star Wars Action News forums at SWActionNews.com, the most friendly forums on the web. You can also find Star Wars Action News on Facebook and Twitter. The links to our social media sites are at SWActionNews.com. You can be on Star Wars Action News by calling our voicemail at 415-508-JEDI or sending an MP3 or iPhone voice memo to show at SWActionNews.com. All materials submitted become the property of Star Wars Action News and are subject to use on our show. You can find even more Star Wars coverage at our sister podcast, Republic Forces Radio Network, where we review each episode of the Clone Wars cartoon series. You can find that podcast at republicforces.com. If you're into Star Wars novels, check out the Star Wars Action News Book Club, where we read and review all the Star Wars novels. That podcast is at swactionnews.com. For more Star Wars collecting, please check out GalacticHunter.com, JediDefender.com, JediTempleArchives.com, and YakFace.com. And we thank those sites for their support of Star Wars Action News. You can help support Star Wars Action News by making a donation using the Donate button at SWActionNews.com or by using affiliate links on the Star Wars Action News homepage when shopping online. Your support helps keep Star Wars Action News on the air. We also appreciate it if you would spread the word about Star Wars Action News. If you enjoyed the show, please post about Star Wars Action News on Facebook, Twitter, or your social media network of choice, or just tell a friend about the show. We would also greatly appreciate a five-star review written on iTunes. A link to our iTunes page is at SWActionNews.com. Star Wars Action News is created, produced, edited, and hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. The Star Wars Action News team is segment reporters Jerry, Brock, Jonathan, Nathan, and Steve, graphic design by Chris, image editing by Jay, podcast enhancement by Andrew and Barrett, associate produced and podcast announcements by Brock. Star Wars Action News is not affiliated with Lucasfilm Limited. The show is created by Star Wars fans showing their love of Star Wars. Star Wars and all that the Star Wars universe contains is trademark and copyright Lucasfilm Limited, a subsidiary of the Walt Disney Company, all rights reserved. Until next time, may the pegs be stocked and the Force be with you. Star Wars Action News is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2013, all rights reserved. 
and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Star Wars Action News. Now this is podcasting. Hello and welcome to another issue 